Welcome everyone to our Sunday service again. My name is Dave. Um, if you're here for the first time, I'm one of the pastors here. Um, I'm sorry I couldn't be with you in person. Uh, a few members of my household got COVID, and so I'm coming to you uh, via video uh, for today's sermon. Uh, today's passage comes from Jeremiah 30, and we're going to read verses 1 to 10. So if you have your scriptures with you, we're going to read Jeremiah 30, verses 1 to 10. <clears throat> this is what it says. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, write in a book all the words that I have spoken to you. For behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will restore the fortunes of my people, Israel and Judah, says the Lord, and I will bring them back to the land that I gave to their fathers. They shall take possession of it. These are the words that the Lord spoke concerning Israel and Judah. Thus says the Lord, we have heard a cry of panic, of terror, and no peace. Ask now and see, can a man bear a child? Why then do I see every man with his hands on his stomach, like a woman in labor? Why has every face turned pale? Alas, that day is so great, there is none like it. It is a time of distress for Jacob, yet he shall be saved out of it. And it shall come to pass in that day, declares the Lord of hosts, that I will break his yoke from off your neck, and I will burst your bounds, bonds, and foreigners shall no more make a servant of him. But they shall serve the Lord their God and David their king, whom I will raise up for them. Then fear not, O Jacob, my servant, declares the Lord, nor be dismayed, O Israel, for behold, I will save you from far away, and your offspring from the land of their captivity. Jacob shall return and have quiet and ease, and none shall make him afraid. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, we've been preaching through Jeremiah, and actually we're coming close to the end here. Um, and the theme of the whole series has been Return to the Promise. God has been calling his people back to repentance because they've strayed away from him. And to be honest, the first 29 chapters of Jeremiah were a little bit tough. Uh, they were a little bit, uh, I don't know how, how to say this, but it's a little bit rough. There's been a lot of pointing out of sin, a lot of indictment and wrath and judgment for God's people because he's been calling them away from their sin and calling them return to the promise, repent and come back. But in the last few chapters, uh, the chapters that we're going to end the series with, uh, there couldn't be a, a more of a complete 180 from the first 29 chapters of Jeremiah 29, because starting here, uh, he's going to be not only calling them to return to the promise, but he's going to be promising a return. He's going to be promising a return from exile, and so he's not just calling them to repentance, but he's promising redemption. And it's coming at a time when they're just getting into the exile, when the people are a complete mess. You'll see uh, from this passage just how much of a mess they're in. But as always, we'll see that God's timing, it's perfect. It's perfect. And he's giving them this promise of salvation right when they need it, right when they're entering into this exile. And he's giving them these promises at this time, at the most anxious season of their lives, the most anxious season that they've ever lived through, because he's telling them, if you're going to make it through the exile with faith, 
If you're going to make it through Babylon with faith, you're going to need my promises. God gives us his promises in this passage as a way to address anxiety. And so this passage is for the anxious. And today's sermon is actually for the anxious. Um, Today, we're talking about anxiety. And um, they say the truest form of vulnerability is not when you share something shameful that you've already defeated. But the truest form of vulnerability, they say, is when you're sharing something shameful that you're still going through. And that's kind of how I feel today. Um, Anxiety might be the biggest enemy that I've faced in my life and continue to face in my life. And so I feel like I'm preaching up here naked because I'm kind of addressing something that I need to hear right now. It's the thing that I've struggled with maybe the most in my life and ministry, anxiety, worry, and fear. But today, I want to share with you not only God's promises, but at the end of the sermon, I also want to share with you a really practical way that God's given me victory over anxiety and continues to grow me in this area, um, a a way to peace uh, that I call SOS. And I'll I'll share that with you at the end of the sermon. But today, as we go through this, we're going to see an anxious Israel. And then secondly, we're going to see promises for the anxious. And then finally, how to apply the promises. So number one, an anxious Israel. Secondly, promises for the anxious. And then finally, applying these promises to our hearts. Let's pray together. Lord, Father, some of us need to hear this uh, very urgently. Um, But all of us need this because we all live in a life and age of anxiety And so, Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit would start to already apply the truth of God to our heart, and we pray that you would use powerful means, send the Spirit, so that today's word would start to change our life and give us peace, especially in the times when we need it most. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So first, uh, an anxious Israel. I want you to read verse one to three with me one more time. It says this, the, the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, write in a book all the words that I have spoken to you. And verse three says, for behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will restore the fortunes of my people. Uh, The whole book of Jeremiah has been leading up to the exile. It's been a warning that because of the sin that Jeremiah's people have committed and the sins that they continue to commit, that God is bringing judgment and wrath and discipline to his people in the form of exile, that Babylon is going to come and it's going to overtake them, invade them, and bring them out of everything that they know and bring them into a foreign land. And when we get this passage here in Jeremiah 30, it's actually happening. It's finally happening. And this passage is coming to them when Judah is being dragged into Babylon, into exile, and losing everything that they know. Now, I don't know how to convey that to you because I've never experienced this myself, losing everything that you have. I mean, I've lost things in my life and you've lost things in your life, but everything, losing everything, uh, that's something that I, I haven't really experienced. But that's what it meant. Captivity, exile, this meant slavery and misery and anxiety all the time, all the time. 
And here, if we look at uh, verse five, he starts to show us a picture of this anxiety. When God looks down at his people, this is what he sees. Read verse five with me. It says, thus says the Lord, we have heard a cry of panic, of terror, and no peace. Ask now and see, can a man bear a child? Can a man bear a child? Why then do I see every man with his hands on his stomach like a woman in labor? Why has every face turned pale? He's looking at his people and he's seeing sheer panic and terror in their hearts. And uh, he's illustrating it through this picture. He says, can a man bear a child? You know, why is every single person uh, panicking as if they're in labor? If you've watched any of these old sitcoms like I grew up on, you know that a lot of the old sitcoms runs the same joke over and over again. And it's that the wife in the family is in labor. She suddenly goes into labor and the husband and the men of the family, they start panicking and running around like chickens with their heads cut off. And they grab the go bag and they run out the door completely forgetting the pregnant wife. Now, I don't know how many sitcoms have run that bit, but I've seen that joke again and again in these sitcoms. And the joke is this. Now, why is he the one panicking when he's not even the one pregnant? That's the picture that God is showing us, but not in a humorous way, not humorous at all, in fact, because God says, I understand if a woman is panicking, if she's in labor, but why is everyone in Israel panicking? Why is everyone living in sheer anxiety? He gives them a picture of what they look like, living a life of anxiety, of panic underneath. 1939 was a time when the world was changing, and it was a very scary time, because it really, really felt like the world was splitting in half, because three nations had come together, Germany, Italy, and Japan. They had come together uh, to threaten the peace of the entire world. And that's not an exaggeration. It was the entire world. They were called the axis of power. And in this time, the axis of power was invading large parts of Europe and Asia and North Africa. And it seemed like the whole world was splitting in half because World War II was in full swing. And in this time, um, children, even in schools, were running duck and cover drills. Not fire drills, but they were running these drills where they hide under their desk because they were training for if an atomic bomb were to drop on their town. This is the, ta- this is the time, 1939. And in 1939, a poet named W.H. Auden, he leaves England and he comes to New York to write a book, the long, one of the longest books of poems that you could read called The Age of Anxiety. And before that was published, he published a poem called September 1st, 1939, marking the day when the Nazis would invade Poland and the whole world was set on, aid, set on edge. And this is what he wrote. His poem is about the shock of that news that the Nazis invaded Poland and everyone felt it deep in their bones, that anxiety and fear, and yet he's living in the United States, separated from Europe, and he's seeing everyone live their lives in this grind, in the busyness of life. But what he sees with these very perceptive eyes is that even though everyone is living these incredibly busy, fast-paced lives, that underneath, in their hearts, 
is there's sheer panic. There's anxiety. And this is what he writes, September 1st, 1939. His poem goes like this. Faces along the bar cling to their average day. The light must never go out. The music must always play. Lest we should see where we are, lost in a haunted wood, children afraid of the night who have never been happy or good. He says that they are living this life of panic, but it's being covered up by a busy schedule. He says, the lights must never go out. The music must always play, lest we should see where we are. We're actually lost in the woods. I think that this really um, defines how Israel is feeling. A deep anxiety, but marching towards exile. But doesn't this sound familiar to any of you? Does this sound like your life at all? Does it sound in any way like your weekly experience? Unreasonable schedules, an unforgiving pace of life, always running to the next thing, but actually underneath the thing that's producing that kind of lifestyle is a productivity driven by fear. A fear that if you ever stop, then your greatest fears would come to fruition. I think it's interesting for us to stop and ask the question, what would happen if you stopped? What would happen if you just stopped? What are those fears that would come to life? What are those things that you're afraid of that would actually happen? You know, deep down, I think that there are some real fears driving us. Like maybe you're afraid of the absolute disaster of your life and family. That if you were to stop, that there would be a crumbling in the world around you, right? It's an irrational fear, but I think that many of us live this way. Or, and this is a little bit deeper, But I think that many of us harbor this, knowingly or unknowingly, that you actually harbor this shame. And you're afraid that if you stop this pace of life, then something is going to happen to you that you actually deep down think that you deserve because you believe that you are not a good person and that you will be shamed if you stop. And there's something inside of you, deep, deep inside of you that says, you deserve it. You deserve it. And we're running away from that fear, running away from that fear, living this this fast pace of life. Children afraid of the night who have never been happy or good. Is that us? Is that you? Because I know it's me. I know it's me. My brothers and sisters, today, the Lord is calling out this anxiety that lives in us, like a demon that lives inside of us, crippling us with anxiety, with a million what-ifs if we stop. Today, the Lord is calling us out and saying, this is not the life that I have set out for you. This is not what Christianity looks like. This is not what salvation looks like. This is not freedom. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom And he's saying to us, this is not how I meant for you to live. He comes to the exiles and he tells them, if you're going to survive an exile and come out with any bit of faith, then you're going to need my promises, my promises. And that's why in the second part, he gives promises for the anxious, because that's the only way they're going to be able to survive with faith in the exile. When you look at our passage today, I kind of imagine God as this father dropping off his child 
at school for the very first time. And the child is so scared because he's never been apart from his father in this way, never been dropped off at school. And in many ways, this passage is like God kneeling down before a small child and saying, I know you're scared, but daddy's gonna come back for you. That much I promise you. I will come back for you. Read verse three here again. It says, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will restore the fortunes of my people, Israel and Judah, says the Lord. I will bring them back to the land that I gave to their fathers and they will take possession of it. He says, if you're going to survive in exile, if you're going to live in this world, you're going to need these promises. And the way that you're going to address this anxiety, this life of panic that's in your heart, is you're going to need to aggressively hang on and remember God's promises. God's promises are what we need in our anxiety. And we really need to let that sink in because for many of us, what we believe is that the the resolution of the things that we're worried about, that's the answer. What, we're, what we think that in our hearts, the, the thing that's going to defeat my worry and my anxiety is if the thing that I'm worried about works out, then I'll be free from anxiety. That's how many of us live our lives. But I have news for you. The truth of the matter is, there's always a fresh worry to worry about. There's always a new thing to worry about. Corrie ten Boom, who actually lived through the Nazi invasion, she said this, she said, worry does not empty tomorrow of its sorrow. It empties today of its strength. Worry does not empty tomorrow of its sorrow. It empties today of your strength. Whatever worry you are in now, whatever is driving your anxiety, I promise you this much. After this one, there's gonna be another one. There's always another monster lurking around the corner. After your anxiety about getting your job, you will be anxious about keeping your job. After your anxiety about having a child, next will come the anxiety of raising a child. After your worry about where, what school your child is gonna get into, next will come the anxiety of what your kid's gonna do after school. After your worry about rejection, Next will come the worry about the fear of man. Every time we get over an anxiety, there's another one. And the Lord tells them that the answer is not going to be getting over this anxiety, is overcoming this anxiety. Don't be so short-sighted. You see, Judah in this time, they were tempted to reach out to other nations to help them in this anxiety. And the Lord tells them in verse 14 and 15 that this isn't the answer. Read 14 and 15 with me. He says this, all your lovers have forgotten you. They care nothing for you. For I have dealt you the blow of an enemy, the punishment of a merciless flow, because your guilt is great, because your sins are flagrant. Why do you cry out over your hurt? Your pain is incurable. Your guilt is great because your sins are flagrant. See, Israel was tempted to reach out to Edom and Moab and Ammon and Tyre and Sidon to say, help us with this. But he's saying, why are you so short-sighted? Why are you always trying to go to other places to resolve your anxiety? Edom and Ammon and Tyre and Sidon, they care nothing for you. 
My brothers and sisters, do you think that your job wants your healing? Do you think that your children's success will actually make you whole? Do you think that money loves you as much as you love money? They care nothing for you, God says. Finding earthly solutions for your anxiety will not work because there's always another thing. There's always another anxiety. The issue is not this concern, but it's always going to be another one. You know, I love that scene in Men in Black, the original Men in Black. It was a long time ago, but if you remember that, when Will Smith is recruited as the new kind of Man in Black, and Tommy Lee Jones, he's kind of the the old veteran who's been around the block. And um, he tells Will Smith, you can't fire your weapon in public, you know, because they have these intergalactic weapons and they can't let people know. But then it gets really tense. The, the world is about to end because there's this alien threat. And so Will Smith, he runs out on the street and he fires his weapon in front of all these people. Tommy Lee Jones, he comes out and he rebukes him and he says, don't do that. And Will Smith, he responds by saying, you know, we can't spend our energy trying to cover up this stuff. You know, don't, you know maybe you forgot, but there's an alien battle cruiser coming to destroy Earth. And Tommy Lee Jones, he says to him, there's always an alien battlecruiser or a Corillian death ray or an intergalactic plague about to wipe off life on this miserable planet. The world is always coming to an end, he says. The world is always coming to an end. My brothers and sisters, don't you see that that's our lives? That we're so short-sighted to think that all we need is to get over this thing But God says, don't you see that the issue is deeper than that? The issue isn't this thing, but the issue is worry itself. He says, your sins are flagrant. Your guilt is great. He's pointing out that the fundamental thing wrong with us is that we do not trust God with our lives. And because of that, we're always vulnerable to attack. There's always an alien battle cruiser. There's always an intergalactic plague threatening our peace because fundamentally the problem is our sin, that brokenness with God where we cannot trust him anymore. God says, don't you see that that's the problem? And if you're going to survive in Babylon, you're going to need to understand that, that the short-sightedness that you have is not the answer. If you're going to survive in Babylon with any bit of faith coming out the other end, then you have to stop thinking, yes, I want to trust in God, but I have these bills. I I want to trust in God, but my parents are sick, and I just need to get over this, and then I can trust in God. He's saying, if you're going to survive in Babylon, then you're going to need to get over that. You're going to need to understand what is really going on. In many ways, he's speaking to them the way that he spoke to that crippled man at the pool of Bethsaida, and he said to him, do you actually want to get well? And the man says, yeah, but every time I try, every time I try, somebody gets in front of me, and Jesus looks him in the eye, and he says, I never asked you that. That wasn't my question. My question was, do you want to get well? And I think in that moment, that man looks into Jesus's eyes and understands, whoa, this guy is able to supersede all of my concerns. God says in verse 17, I will restore health to you. Your wounds I will heal. Verse 10, fear not, O Jacob, my servant. 
That's the issue, fear itself. He says, fear not, O Jacob, my servant, declares the Lord, nor be dismayed. For Israel, behold, I will save you from far away and your offspring from the land of captivity. Jacob shall return and have quiet and ease and none shall make him afraid. He says, you have to look at me. You have to look at me because there's always another thing. And in Babylon, if you're gonna survive, you're going to need to learn to trust in my promises again. You're gonna need to learn to trust in my promises again. You know, this week, I really felt this as God says, behold, that's that Hebrew word, hine, which means stop looking at this. Stop looking at this. And he did this in Daniel. He does it in Revelation. He does it in so many places where we're so concerned about the things that are happening around us. And God says, hey, right here, right here, look at me. Hine, behold, right? I told you that this week, a bunch of my family members got COVID. Um, most of it was mild, but my uh, father, um, he got COVID uh, pretty severely. And Thursday night, Friday morning at 2 a.m., I got a text from my younger brother. And the text just said, dad can't breathe. We're going to the emergency room. Dad can't breathe. We're going to the emergency room. And in that moment, I felt the anxiety. I felt the next thing come to me and grip my heart. I felt it in that moment. And I knew especially because I was preparing for this sermon, I knew I have to hine. I have to behold God because now something new is threatening my peace. It was something very real. We need to hine at his promises. How will you hang on to your faith when the next thing comes and the next thing comes and the next thing comes? It comes down to whether we trust in the Lord, whether we believe in him for this, and whether you find him to be trustworthy, if his promises are true enough for you to believe. God says, behold. And my brothers and sisters, God has proven his trustworthiness to us. He's proven that he's worthy to be trusted and followed in these moments where anxiety grips our hearts. There's something in this passage that's just for you and me. You see, in verse 9, God's promising that he's going to bring them back from exile, and he says this, verse 9, but they shall serve the Lord their God and David their king. He says, when I bring you back, you will serve David your king, whom I will raise up for them. David. King David died a long time ago. And even after they returned from exile... There's going to be no king. What in the world is he talking about? You see, this part of the promise is not so much for the people who are there in Babylon, but it's for you and me. They were going to have to wait on this one because what he is saying is, I'm sending someone who's actually going to deal with the core of the issue not just bringing you back from Babylon, not just making your father well, not just dealing with the next thing, but dealing with the actual sin that has broken our relationship, that's causing you to worry all the time. I will send King David, and it will be a mystery until the New Testament opens with the Gospel of Matthew, and the Gospel of Matthew opens with these words, the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David.
here comes the one who's going to deal with the core issue. The main thing is going to deal with the thing that has caused us to live in anxiety, the broken relationship with God, our sin and guilt. And he would come and prove once and for all that his promises are yes and amen. Prove once and for all that for every next thing that we can always trust in him because he would come and he would deal with the sin and guilt that had us ravaged in worry and he would break that sin and he would restore our relationship with God. Send us the Holy Spirit. Give us the power to believe and trust in the next anxiety that God is for us and never against us again. And in Romans 8:32, Paul reflecting on this, he says, "He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not with Christ graciously give us all things?" My brothers and sisters, God called the exiles to believe in God before he saved them. But today for us, he's calling us to believe in him after he's already saved us. And he's saying, haven't I proved that I am trustworthy? Haven't I proved that I love you? And haven't I proved that my promises are yes and amen? If you're going to live in this world, God says, you're going to have to trust in my promises until I return. Going from anxiety to anxiety, that's no way to live. That's not the faith that I've given to you. You need to trust in my promises if you're going to make it through with faith. Now, I want to make it really practical and applicable as we come to um, the last part of the sermon. Not only did we see an anxious people, not only did we see God calling them to trust in his promises, now we have to now apply these promises to us so that we can make use of this. I want to show you Philippians 4.9, something that Paul said that will really help us. In Philippians 4.9, he says this. He says, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. Practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. He said, if you practice these things, the God of peace will be with you for your anxieties. Did you hear that? He said, practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Now, if you've practiced anything and you've had to learn anything new, you know that at the beginning, it feels very unnatural. It's really difficult because it feels very unnatural. It's not at all like what you're used to doing. And so when you start to practice something, it feels totally wrong. It feels totally um, you know, unnatural. Practice is very intentional. And whenever you face worry in your life and anxiety in your life, you have a choice. You can go to your impulses or you can be intentional. Impulse or intentionality. And Paul is saying, if you're going to have the God of peace in your life, you're going to have to learn to practice these things and not go to your Edom, Ammon, Tyre, and Sidon, your short-sighted way and impulsive ways of dealing with your anxiety. You know, for some of you, whenever you feel anxiety, you say, I'm just going to go play video games for hours on end. For others of you, you go shopping. Or others of you, you just watch uh, things on stream for hours at a time. Or for many of you, you go back to, I need a drink. 
But God is saying that these impulsive ways that you deal with your anxiety will never work. And some of you already know that, but you don't know how else to deal with your anxieties. Some of you for decades have been drinking when you get stressed and you know that it's not a way out. I used to have this survival book in my bathroom. And I don't know why I was so into this book, but it was this little survival guide that helps you out in the wilderness and things like that. And I remember this one survival tip. It said, if a swarm of bees is coming after you, you, you could do a lot of things, but do not jump into water. Um, I guess that's one of our impulses. We believe that if we jump in water, then the bees will go away. But the survival guy said, if you are running away from a swarm of bees and you jump into water, the bees will be waiting for you. And the first thing that will pop out of the water is your head, and the bees will go after it. Do not jump in water. The bees will be waiting for you. In a lot of ways, keep going to your impulses, and your anxiety will just be waiting for you. And actually, it might be worse by the time you return. You need to practice these things in intentionality um, in order to live out promises in your life. And I want to give you one practical way that God has given me uh, victory over this as we close. And one passage that has been really important for me in my life has been Matthew 6. And for many of you, you know Matthew 6. When Jesus is saying, look at the birds of the air, look at the flowers, the lilies of the field, they do not labor or toil nor spin, and yet your heavenly Father takes care of them. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. I've kind of received a way to respond to anxiety using Matthew 6 as a frame. And it's uh, this acronym, SOS. You know, SOS, save our souls. When you feel that alarm of worry and anxiety hit your heart, Use SOS, and this is what it stands for. The first S is stop. Stop. When worry hits us, we go down this emotional slope of what ifs. Oh my gosh, what if this, and what if that, and what if that. I had, I had that happen to me this week. What if this, and what if that? And in that moment, we have to take God's command seriously that worry is not a natural thing that you're doing, but it's actually sin. And you have to be able to speak to your heart and say, stop it. Stop it. Stop it right now. We have to take it seriously and take a defiant stand against our anxiety and say, this is not what God desires. Stop it. We need to be able to speak to our hearts in that way. We need to have the spiritual obedience in that moment to say, stop, cease, and desist. This is very important that we do that because once you get down that emotional slope of what ifs, very hard to climb your way out. As soon as you feel your heart getting anxious, you need to speak to your heart the way that you would speak to a demon if you were possessed with authority and with God's word, and you need to speak to your heart and say, stop. Heart, I command you to stop being afraid. I command you, be still, my soul. Be still, my soul. That's the first bit. S is stop. But I'm telling you, once you do that, it's, your heart will start palpitating again and start to worry again. It's going to start bubbling up again, and that's when you need to move to the next part, S-O, opportunity, opportunity. 
God says in Matthew 6, look at the birds of the air. Look at the lilies of the field. They do not labor nor toil nor spin, and yet your heavenly Father takes care of them. Look at the lilies of the field. Not even Solomon in all his splendor was arrayed like this, and yet your heavenly Father clothes them. You see, what he's saying is the reason you worry is because you don't understand me. You don't understand that every time you worry, that's an opportunity for me to provide for you. Every time that you're afraid, that's my opportunity to clothe you. Every time that you have a need, that's my chance, my opportunity to prove to you that I'm trustworthy. It's an opportunity for your God to supply your need. It's not the end of the world. It's an opportunity for God to show up in your life and build up your faith. We need to reframe our needs. We need to reframe our anxieties in that way. In fact, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but you're living today in the, in the provisions that God has supplied you right, from before. What I mean is this. Think about this. 10 years ago, weren't you anxious about where you would be in 10 years? Maybe even five years ago or a year ago, even a month ago, weren't you anxious about where you would be? And yet here you are living in his grace, living in the provision of your heavenly father today. And yet we still don't learn our lesson. He has supplied you grace. Today is the day you were scared of. of. Today was the day that you were anxious about. And yet here you are in his grace. In 10 years, you know where you'll be? In his grace. In five years, you will be in his grace. You will be living in that next opportunity for God to provide for you. Every new worry is a new opportunity to prove that he's your heavenly father. My dad came home from the hospital last night and I prayed when I got that text at 2 a.m. that the Lord would supply for our need. And today he reminds me, don't you see That was my opportunity to answer your prayer. Don't you see that? Now go tell Mosaic that their heavenly father is here for them. Stop, see it as an opportunity, S-O, and then the final S is seek. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Not only do we need to stop and reframe it as an opportunity for a heavenly father to provide for us, but finally, we need to go seek out his promises and put them in our hearts. We need to seek out his promises and put them in our hearts. The thing about worry, though, is that it can happen at any time. Anytime you can get that text, that call, that thing can happen to you. Um, And you have to have your promises ready. You have to have your promises ready if you're going to be able to seek. Um, I want to show you something. Some of you who who have been at Mosaic for a long time know that I have really bad allergies. But I'm ready because here is my allergy kit. And I keep this with me at all times during allergy season because tree pollen, the thing that I'm allergic to, is everywhere. And I don't know when the reaction is going to happen. It could happen at any time. And so I have my kit ready. And in my kit, I have my, you know, Claritin, I have my nose spray, I have all sorts of stuff, and I have it ready because I know that 
when it hits, oh man, it's really, really bad. And if I don't have my kit, you know what I'll do? I'll go to my impulses. I'll rub my eyes and I'll scratch my face. And at the end, I'll feel so much worse than I did before. The bees will be waiting for me when I get out of the water. My impulses make it far worse. And so I always have my kit with me. And in many ways like this, my brothers and sisters, when anxiety comes, you need to be ready with God's promises. And you know what that means? That means you can't just have them printed out on your desk. I mean, you can't just have a Bible with you. The Bible is the living word of God. But I tell you, look, it's kind of a long book. And you don't always have your Bible with you. And so one of the disciplines, the practices, practice these things, practices that we need to recover is Bible memory, memorizing scripture, tucking it away in our hearts. Because the worries and anxieties, it's all over the place. It could come at any time. And if you don't have it ready as your kit, then you don't have promises to seek out. You don't have promises to rely on. Uh, We've been doing discipleship with our elders every Thursday morning, five in the morning. And one of the things that we've been doing is Bible uh, memorization and scripture memorization. And I just, all of a sudden, I'm remembering how valuable it is. If you don't have it with you, then it's very, very difficult to get it out when you need it. Not only that, when you memorize scripture, it enters into your internal dialogue, into your heart and your mind, and it starts to come into your voice. And you know why that's so important? Because your internal dialogue is where your worry happens. It's where your anxieties live. That's where all the what-ifs live, in your internal dialogue. And when you memorize scripture, you put that in to the place where the battle is fought. We need to take time to tuck away God's promises in our hearts because you never know when you will need them. And if you don't have any yet, I want to give you a couple to memorize. Isaiah 41.10, fear not, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you by my righteous right hand. Deuteronomy 31, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Tuck that away in your heart. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and their staff, they comfort me. Philippians 1.6, for I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in me will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He's going to finish the work. Exodus 14.14, you do not need to Uh, be so anxious because he says in Exodus 14, 14, the Lord will fight for you. You only need to be silent. And the one that I keep away that has helped me so many times, Matthew 6, look at the birds of the air. And every time I go outside, I'm reminded of that. Look at the birds of the air. Look at the lilies of the field. They don't worry. They neither labor or toil nor spin. And yet your heavenly father feeds them. Your father feeds them. How much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? We need to tuck those promises away because if we're going to live in Babylon and make it through with faith, then we're going to need his promises. We cannot go to impulses. 
We cannot hope in just a victory over this one singular anxiety. We're going to need promises. And the Lord has proven himself trustworthy, worthy of us believing those promises because of his son, Jesus Christ. And he has proved to us that he's trustworthy. And so he says to you, my brother, my sister, in whatever anxiety you're sitting in today, don't just trust me for heaven. Trust me for your life on earth because I've proven myself to you that I'm your heavenly father. I promise you that I will care for you. Today, my brothers and sisters, we need to believe in those promises and we need to see just how much power comes into our life when we do. Let's go to him in prayer. I think the Lord is calling us to fight back anxiety with his promises and to see finally what the power of the Christian life is by tucking away his word in my heart. If you're sitting there and you're worried about your marriage, seek first him and his promises and rest in those promises. If you're worried about the uncertainty of your life, Go to him and rest in his promises. If you don't know what to do, the next step, and you're scared about that, rest in his promises. Something that you love is in danger. Seek him first. Rest in his promises. Let me give you a minute to pray. And as we prepare to respond, I'm going to invite the worship team up to prepare the song that we're going to sing. It goes, hide me now under your wings. Cover me within your mighty hand. Find rest, my soul, in Christ alone. Know his power in quietness and trust. When the oceans rise and the thunders roar, I will soar with you above the storm because, Father, you are king over the flood. So I will be still and know that you are God. Father, as we come to you with all of our anxieties, our panicked hearts, and the pace of life that covers it all up, we say to our soul, find rest, my soul, in Christ alone. Know his power and quietness and trust. Lord, Father, send the spirit to us. Remind us that you are trustworthy. And I pray that those promises will be a strong foundation to overcome anxiety. Every new one that comes is an opportunity for our heavenly father to prove to us that you love us. And so, Father, I pray, bring us back to the place of trust and power. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.